Well, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I reckon stories like that both encourage us and convict us. And whether you're a Christian for a long time, exploring Christianity, or whether you're just visiting with us today, we believe that inside every single one of us, there is a yearning to know the truth. There is a yearning. Some of us are on happiness quest, but most of us, deep inside of us, deep inside of us, there is a desperate need to know the truth. And maybe even here in this place, some of you have experienced what Paula have experienced in her life. Maybe you went through different worldviews. Maybe you've experimented with different paradigms and maybe even different religions. And maybe you are here today with an undeniable conviction about the claims and the truth of Jesus Christ. Maybe for others of us today, you've grown in a, in a secular environment where people spoke about different ways of living, different manners of life and different faith and maybe you've heard it once twice and maybe many times where people would say to you aren't all religions leading to the same end and you wonder you know if people are living the moral life that moralistic life that their religion is espousing and encouraging them to live and my uh, background is uh, encouraging me to do the same is there a difference or maybe for you like me we grew up in a Christian environment maybe your parents were practicing Christians or maybe just were Christians by name and as long as you were in a, in a family home or as long as you were in a church environment you recognized the reality of God and you understood that you know you've inherited a faith uh, that is at least solid for your loved ones, for your parents, for your grandparents. But for you, maybe for you, it wasn't so clear. Just because you inherited a faith didn't necessarily translate for you as a wholehearted conviction of the reality of God. And maybe for some of us here today, your conviction of God is He's in the box and really He's dead. Maybe you're not like uh, Friedrich Nietzsche who spoke about God being dead. The philosopher that said God is dead and we killed him. Maybe he didn't say that out loud, but maybe subtly deep inside of you, God was not alive and influential in your life. Maybe in the, in the reality of traditions or maybe in the religious activities in the church environment, God seemed okay. But when it came to your decision-making process, maybe when it came to your friendship groups, maybe when it came to your aspirations in life, nothing was different between you and us who considered God to be dead. I acknowledge that growing up, my parents were full on in the faith. They had known the reality, the personal reality of Jesus Christ and his claims. I grew up inheriting that, but as I went to school, God was dead to me. Because the funkiest guys, the cool guys, the guys that were having the most fun, were just 
people who didn't consider religion whatsoever and some of my best friends and closest friends as I grew up from primary school all the way to year 10 were Muslim friends. We didn't really talk about religion. We simply hang around and, and said what most young people would say and we did what most young people would say. And, and yes, I would go to church on the weekend, but as I roamed the streets with my friends, we, we did stupid things as, as we wagged school. And uh, thankfully, my children are not here, but as, I don't think you can wag school in Australia. And parents drop you off. We used to take transportation in Egypt. It was pretty easy. But we were no different from those who didn't acknowledge the reality of the Christian faith. Until in year 10, a new Arabic teacher and Arabic teachers in Egypt were also uh, Islamic uh, religion instructors. And, and, in, uh, and before school uh, tutorials, he, uh, he explained to my friends, some of my friends who attended the tutorial, and I was absent on that particular day that my dad was a religious figure. And this guy was a freak. And he would try to convert Muslims to become Christians. And something happened from there on. He incited some sort of division between me and my friends and, and the jokes that we would to joke as usual were no longer taken as something simple or naive. They tried to figure a narrative, a religious narrative in everything I did and said. And you know when there is a little bit of awkwardness between friends and you say, where did that come from? And that really, really pushed me to ask the one question that maybe some of us asked at one stage or maybe even asking today. Is Christianity different enough to warrant the risk of me being different? Is Christianity different enough, distinguished enough, valid enough to warrant the risk of me being different? Because I want to tell you something you and I know that many, many a times we've seen people who declare themselves to be Christians, but they know different from the rest of the community. But the reality and the truth of the message of Christianity, that it's so different that it ought to make those who embrace it people who are different in the way of their behavior with others, in the way they make their lifelong decisions, in the way they uh, dream and plan for their future. But the question remained with me. Is Christianity distinguished enough to warrant the risk of me being different? And you know what? That question is not just for us in the 21st century. In fact, throughout uh, the, the, the history of Christianity, people from the very early days, even just uh, two decades from the time of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the founding and the establishment of the Christian assembly. People ask the same question over and over and over again. And to them, writers 
that what we, we know as the New Testament writers, that literature writers, ancient literature that are held still for us today. This is, wasn't a book that put together by, by some freak. These were actually literature, letters or books that were written, real letters that were written to real people at real times. They were mystical. And one of those letters that were written in the year 48 A.D., Guess that that is less than 20 years from the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Susie's mom passed away more than 20 years ago. And I can tell you we can quote some of the things that she said. We can still visualize some of the things that she's done. We still remember some of the food and the way of her hobbies and how she treated the people. You don't forget, you don't get amnesia 20 years later. So this letter that's been held for us, an ancient letter written by a guy called Paul, it is real, it's authentic, it's, a, it's got valid uh, empirical things for you and I to consider because when you ask a question of somebody and you know that they've heard it themselves, they were first the data, they weren't hearing it from somebody that heard it from somebody that heard it, but you know that they had first-hand experience that is so incredibly powerful. And in the next four weeks, I'm going to share with you, I'm going to read out loud and attempt to the best of my capacity to explain to you what that letter says about the uniqueness and the difference of Christianity. And it's written by a guy called Paul, and it is called the letter to the Galatians. And today we're going to look at just the first chapter, you know, those letters weren't written in chapters. It was like almost like the first part of the letter. And the letter was just like every other normal letter that was written in the Greek era. And it starts with the writer. The writer, you know, these days we write, you know, if you're writing a letter, you write it to the, the first name you write there is the name of the person that you're sending it to, just in case they forgot their name. But in the past, they used to write it from the person. The name that first comes up is the name of the person that's sending it. Yeah? So here uh, is the start of, of, of this letter that I'd love to share with you in a few moments that we have together. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1. And it starts with this. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man. And the first thing that strikes those people who have read the, 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 this letter when it was sent to them is the idea of the writer. His name is Paul. And Paul is his Roman name. You know, in those days, some people had different names. He, Paul, this guy, had a Hebrew name. Some of us who grew up in church will understand that his name was Saul. Uh, this is his Roman name. He was a Roman citizen. And he's writing to people who are of no Jewish background. So he's saying to them, hey, I have no Jewish distinction or credibility that I bring to you. I don't bring you my Jewishness. I bring you my Roman heritage. I, here I bring you the whole concept like you bring to the table that you have nothing to bring to God except who you are. But Paul wanted to remind them of his story. Because if he's going to talk about the distinguished features of Christianity, he wanted to explain to them 
where he's come from. So he says to them, Paul, an apostle, and the word apostle means somebody who's sent by commission, somebody who's got an authority. And it reminded those people of those who are known to be apostles in the church of Jerusalem, the, uh, the friends of Jesus, the 12 disciples whom Jesus walked with, taught and, uh, and, and commissioned to go to the ends of the earth, even though they had no clue what that means, and to speak to others about the reality of their encounter of Jesus. And he was saying to them, you know what, I am just as authoritative as those people who are in Jerusalem who are considered the pillars of the faith, the people who have known Jesus and seen him and walked with him for three years. He's saying, I have authority, so wake up to what I have to say. And he says, listen, what I bring to you, the message I bring to you is not a message that I copied from somebody. It's not a message that I sent through someone or a message that, that came to me because of somebody else's teaching. I'm going to send you something firsthand. You know, if you're trying to sort through evidence, you try to get people. He told me, you know, when you, I don't know about you, but we still have young kids. And when you try to investigate something happened in the school, yard, and if he says, and he told me and she told me and I heard him say to her, I say, hey, 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 let, let go of all of that, mate. What actually, what have you seen? What have you personally heard? I don't want the, 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 the stuff around it. And this is what Paul is saying to them. I'm not telling you what I heard. Of course I heard stuff. I'm not going to tell you what, I, what, what, what I've been, traditions that have been passed. And I'm not going to tell you that even though there has been stuff. But I want to tell you my firsthand experience of this Christian faith that is now into question. And later on, in that, uh, in that very first chapter, he tries to remind them, just in case they easily forgotten, who Paul really is. And he says this to them. For you have heard. That means they either heard uh, directly or either heard through other people that told them that. You have heard of my previous way of life or, or my previous manner of life in Judaism. So he, if he was sitting here on the couch like Paul, I would say, you know what? Not just Scientology, not just Buddhism that I've been exposed to, but I, I have been digging into the concept of Judaism with my hand and feet and teeth. I know what it's like to be Jewish, and you've heard that about me. And you've also heard how intensely, and in, in the actual word intensely sounds so... Um, um, Different from the original. The actual word means savagely or beyond measure. He's saying to them, I was savage. I, I, I actually persecuted the church beyond measure. He says how intensely, savagely, and beyond measure I persecuted the church or, 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 or the idea of an assembly, a, a, universal or a universal group that followed Jesus and they have a local expression in every given area. And it says that I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Uh, this was written of cities that were destroyed by the enemy. It's saying I was like an army coming against the Christian church. I'm trying to absolutely ruin uh, this church. And he says, that's me. And not only that, but I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my, my, my own age. He's using the idea of a competition. Like if you put all the Jewish kids 
uh, all the Jewish young people, and he tried to see who was performing to the best of their capacities and who was advancing ahead of others, who was uh, uh, perfecting themselves in the observance of the law and the traditions of the fathers. You would find me at the front of the race. It says, I was advancing beyond many of the Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous. And the word zealous is what's used of zealots. They were like people who create havoc. They were like political freaks that were causing all types of, um, uh, of revolts against the government. But he's saying that's how, how enthused and how full on and how difficult and challenging my ideals were for the traditions of my fathers. Here is you have somebody who's got every right to tell you their story. Somebody that is about to tell you why they believe what they believe, not because it was an airy-fairy thing, not because they received it from somebody else who told them that somebody else saw something else and, and now you're gaining it second or third hand. He's saying, look at me, where I was, and then he uses the word, but. But. Everything changes. You know, when, when Paula says that, but. You know, in a time of her mom, everything changes towards the end of her mom's life. And Paul says this, but when God has set me apart from birth. And the word set me apart here is like, you, you put something to the side for an exclusive use. You put it something to the side and say, uh, this is only going to be used for this. Okay, and, and, and he utilizing for them the imagery of the prophets of the Old Testament, just like Jeremiah, when Jeremiah said that God set me apart as a prophet, somebody that was set for God's use only. And Paul here is so uh, uh, forthright, he's saying, I'm like those prophets that other people coming today and say, listen to them. I have just the same authority. I just have, this is a brand new era. We're not just running back to Jewish traditions and prophets. I'm telling you, we have the same equal authority to speak about God and the faith. And he called me by his grace. And the word pleased, it really should have come early on when it says God was pleased to set me apart from birth and call me by His grace. And the word grace is the word of, of our week that I, that I want to uh, explain to you a little bit uh, uh, more of it today. And most people, most Christians grew up with the idea of grace. Uh, if you're non-Christian, you're probably the only grace that you've heard of is when you have dinner and you say grace before dinner, where it's a little bit more than that. Uh, the grace most Christians grew up observing, it means unmerited favor. That means God gives you something or treats you in a way that you don't deserve or you don't merit or you don't earn. Just like if somebody gave you a, a gift, you don't go back and say, hey, how much do I owe you? It's just free. It's, a, it's something that you receive because you didn't earn it. It was because of the goodness of the giver. But believe it or not, grace is so, so much more. The word grace literally, the, the concept of grace literally means the total supernatural activity of God in a human life. 
It literally means transforming power. So God, Paul is saying, you know, God, I was so far away from him. Uh, this God that, 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 of the Christian faith, I was persecuting his people. I was hurting him in the process. But out of his grace, his transforming power, because of nothing I have done, he came into my life absolutely freely and he transformed me. He transformed me. I was a persecutor, and now I am a preacher. Look at what he says. He says here that he was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. What Paul is saying this, he's saying the power of God. It transforms ridiculously. It transforms beyond measure. Like you can't get this. I can't get this. But if you've heard the news and you've, you've heard about those people who embrace a particular ideology or a particular faith in the Middle East and they're trying to bomb people around, you imagine a, a, a suicide bomber coming into our church. I bet you most of us will be running for our lives. But imagine this guy comes and falls in the middle of the aisle here and says, I believe in Jesus. And I will no longer kill people and destroy women and children. I will not, no longer uh, put them in imprisonment and kill them. That is Paul. If you want to know Paul, he was almost your suicide bomber of the 21st century. And you imagine that. I'm sorry. But you imagine somebody that is so incredibly against the faith, not only does he receive it, but all he wants to do with the rest of his life is to promote the faith that he once wanted to destroy. That's freaky. And you say, what happened? What happened? What happened is simple. He experienced the transforming power of an almighty God that grabs you, that grabs you, that changes the reality of this God is so much more superior. You see here, we, the people acknowledge right away the story of Paul. The story of Paul when he was trying to destroy all the Christians and he was getting letters from the authoritative Jewish people to destroy the Christians all around. He was on a mission, and a mission of destruction. And, and, and as he was going to Damascus to, to grab more Christians and, and to destroy more Christians, he met with the risen Jesus. He met with somebody that he heard about all along. You, you remember, uh, maybe if you grew up in, in a Christian environment, you'll remember uh, in the book of Acts, which is the story of the church, Paul was standing there whilst a guy called Stephen was being stoned for his faith. Uh, not stoned like stoned as you think today. It was being literally stoned. And, uh, and, and Paul was listening to what he was saying. He was saying from the Old Testament, he was bringing all the ramifications of this new guy called Jesus, he, whom he claimed to be the Messiah. He's heard all the kafafels in Jerusalem because there was a huge uproar. He heard about the faith. He heard about the teaching of the, of the apostles. In fact, he may have seen the love of the Christians for one another because that's written in Acts chapter 2. But there in Acts chapter 9, nothing, it changed Paul but the risen Savior. Friend, 
Christianity is not a set of assertions, values, and worldviews and teaching. Christianity is primarily and solely founded on the one thing that changed the suicide bomber into the preacher of the Christian faith. And that one thing is the resurrection. You know, nobody in the days of the book of Acts would, would say, you know what, but, 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 but Paul said so, but Peter said so, but John said so. They didn't preach the, the teachings of the apostles. They went out there and said to them, friends, the reality is God Almighty has broken into the world. That's why Paul says there that he chose to reveal his son in me. The idea of revelation is not new information because Paul has heard it before. The idea of a revelation is God breaking into our world. And, 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 and the apostles throughout the early church history, they would go around to pagans. They would go around to Jewish people and say, listen, God Almighty has broken into our world. God Almighty has made himself manifested. How? By the life, death, and resurrection of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Because the reality is this, friends, resurrection is verifiable. It is verifiable. And that's what Paul put everything to the side because of a risen Savior who encountered him. Look at, at Galatians chapter 1 again and the, and the first verse that we started with. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men. This is no mere mortal religion. This is not a religion like every other religion. This is not a philosophy that you judge it based on its uh, technical abilities or, 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 or its valid teachings or, or the narrative and the clarity of the narrative. This is not mortal religion. It says, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. And look at how front and center Jesus is in the perception of God in, in Paul's mind. He doesn't even put God the Father first, which is normal order in, all of his, in, in, in most of his epistles. But he says Jesus Christ first because his Christianity is solely and utterly fixed on Jesus-centric understanding of the faith. His world has been shaken from Judaism and the observance of the law and the incredible teaching, 613 different laws. He's now understanding Faith to be a relationship with a person. And how, do, how does he describe God? Not God Almighty, Adonai, the provider, you know, the God that can achieve anything he wants. No, 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 no. The one linked to God whom he now worships in spirit and in truth. He says, God the Father, who, who raised Jesus from the dead? He now, his ultimate concept of God is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. Because resurrection, friends, is the one basis of your faith, of the Christian faith. And if you're exploring Christianity, don't tell me the rules and the regulation and what you agree and disagree with. Can you rely on a historical event that nobody denies? except Muhammad, 
except somebody that came centuries later to say that Jesus did not die and, and conflicting the ideas that he writes about in his book. But everybody else cannot deny the historical concept of a Jesus who lived and died and rose again. And look at what Paul tells the churches in Corinthians. He says to them in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, who is Peter. So there was an eyewitness you can't deny somebody seen something. You can't say, no, no, you didn't see it. Like, why? <laughs> what have you seen that I haven't seen? Then to the twelve, last of all, as to one ultimately untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is his first-hand experience of the, risen, of the risen Lord. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle even, because I persecuted the church. You see, the same thread of thought comes here again the church of God but by the grace of God by the transforming power of God I am what I am and his transforming power toward me was not in vain why not in vain because it changed me completely and then he goes on and says to them the incredible truth about the resurrection friends if you're making a decision about the Christian faith you need to understand that the evidence the base the foundation is the resurrection as if christ has if and if christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and the word preaching usually paul uses in particular in galatian as the gospeling the gospeling the good newsing if you like he uses a, a word and makes it a verb uh, our gospeling is not in in vain if if Christ wasn't risen and your faith is in vain you can't believe in all the teaching of Christ because it will be in vain if he wasn't risen from the dead we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not rise if uh, whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised and if Christ has not been raised that means if Christ was not resurrected your faith is futile. It's worth nothing. It's not worth having. And you are still in your sins means you are separated from God. Friends, we base the Christian faith on the valid truth of the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ, which proven that he's no, no mere human being. Because uh, people who died they stayed dead. They couldn't raise themselves up because everybody that was of human descendant, of human offspring, of human inheritance, they inherited the virus of sin which created this outcome of eternal separation from God. And if you died, you remain dead. But Jesus, His resurrection proved that He was not like the rest of us. He didn't have the virus of sin. Every other prophet, every other teacher, every other philosopher, 
that ever mention anything about virtues or morality or any other vague concept of spirituality, their tomb still remains today. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. He has an empty tomb. And without the resurrection, there is futile faith. And look at what Paul says again. He says, that who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. So he writes to a group of churches in Galatia and says to them, grace and peace to you from God our Father, because he's the Father of Jesus. He's now our Father. And look at the personal language that he uses. And the Lord Jesus Christ, and he links them all together because to Paul, he understands God and Jesus in one entity. He's the expression of the exact representation of God himself shown to us in flesh. It says, who gave himself, that Jesus gave himself to our, uh, for our sins. That means he died. But as he rose, he did all of that to rescue us from the present evil age. And, and this is so, so, so powerful. You see, many of us, even if you're a non-Christian, you may have grown up hearing that Jesus died so he can forgive us our sins. And that is so true. But that's not it. Jesus died and rose again to rescue us from the present age. To rescue us from the dominion of the age that is so crippled by sin. He rescued us from our sinfulness, not just from the penalty of our sin. He, he came in and through his death and resurrection and his coming into our own lives, if we follow Jesus, he's saying, you're no longer the same person. You no longer function under the same rules of this present age. And in the Jewish scheme of things, there was the present age, the evil age, the evil world, the evil cosmos. Uh, the, 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 the world under the dominion of the enemy and they had the age to come which is the messianic age the age of liberation the age where God penetrates the world and breaks sin in the world and, and, and Paul was saying hey listen you need to understand that the death and the resurrection of Jesus it changed time it changed the world it, it brought you a new life a life that you can't live in the present age because the present age is being broken into and now is ushered a brand new era. An era where you can live under the dominion of a loving father, not a destroying enemy. To the churches of Galatia, what's interesting about the churches in Galatia, they were the first group of churches that Paul went to after he received the, uh, his revelation of the risen Lord. And, 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 and he went and, and had different opportunities to reflect on this newfound faith. And then finally, after several years, he went to Antioch, a church, and, and, and they gathered around a, a group of people. And whilst they were praying and worshiping Almighty God, uh, God said to them exactly the same language that Paul uses here. He said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas or Saul and Barnabas for a mission that I've told him about, that they would go to the Gentile world. And this was unheard of. People thought Christianity was a sect of Judaism. It was just a branch of Judaism. But here, they went 
unbelievably went to a Gentile world. Gentile means people who are of no Jewish background. And Paul knew from the start that this was his calling. And, uh, and this was the, the region of, of Galatia. Is a, uh, most scholars tell us it's a Roman province in the uh, south central of Turkey. And it had uh, predominantly those uh, th- uh, three or four cities, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby. You can read about them in Acts 13 and Acts 14. They were the first mission trip. They were the first journey. They were the first, uh, if you like, the first adventure of Paul to fulfill this great, incredible commission, this amazing assignment that God Almighty in His person by the power of the Holy Spirit entrusted him to pioneer Christianity. And he was so excited because there were miracles. Uh, they allow, a, a lame person would walk and they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. He says, no, 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 you can't do that, friends. You know, we're mere mortals like you. And, and, and the churches were so, so encouraged. Those pagan people, imagine pagan group of people that knew nothing about God came to the faith. And, and it's written about them in Acts chapter 14 towards the very end. Actually, we'll go to the next one, please. They preached the gospel, which is the, 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 the concept that we're going to have a couple of minutes talking about in just a second. It's amazing. It's the good news. It's the good tidings. In that city, in all the different cities that they went to early on, and won a large number of disciples of Jesus. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They are the, the, the group of Galatian churches and and strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. They have a Christian faith. They have a faith that's centered on the person of Jesus Christ. On arriving to Antioch, where there's the, 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 the base, the headquarters where they were sent out in Acts chapter 13, they gathered the church together and look at that and reported all that God had done through them and how this was so profound, and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. If you are not a Jewish person, you are owing your faith and your Christian view, uh, worldview to this very verse where God opened a door for the very first time. Uh, because uh, early on, the, the disciples didn't really pursue the ends of the earth. You know, Paul, uh, Peter in, uh, went to one household, but then refrained from continuing. If it wasn't for Paul, maybe you and I wouldn't have been Christians. And you, even if you're a non-Christian, wouldn't have heard about the Christian faith. They were the babies of Paul. That he was so proud of what he's accomplished. It's the first time where the non-Jewish people came to faith. And you know the sad thing? Paul continues to write to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, it says this, I am astonished. The word astonished means, uh, it was an argumentative word. It means I'm agitated, frustrated with you. I'm about to tell you. know, he doesn't give them any praise. Most letters, Paul tells them something good. You know, you're great about this. You know, you're great about that. I'm thanking God. for. He had no time for this Thanksgiving. He was so irritated with the churches in Galatia. He was a bit harsh and irritable. And, 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 and then he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly or so easily deserting. And the word deserting means replacing the one who called you by the grace of Christ. 
See, the whole concept that, that Paul brought into the Galatian churches is the grace, the transforming power, the unmerited, the un, that's something that you do not earn, the grace of God and turning to a different gospel. Uh, here the word different gospel is a gospel of a different kind. But then he, he, he retracts and says, which is really no gospel at all. Let me tell you something, we're nearly done. If somebody tells you, all religions lead to the same pathway. Paul would stand strong and say, there is no other gospel. There is absolutely no other faith that leads to God except Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. Is it exclusive? I want to tell you most religions are exclusive. Don't hear the drama around that as if we're pigots. You see, the Buddha's faith came from a guy who took away himself away from the Hindu's faith. And he didn't subscribe to the ideas that were in Hinduism. And he created his own thing. You know what? You can't have the same uh, uh, you know, uh, standards to Christianity that you don't have, have it with other religions. You know, most religions have a very clear exclusive set of beliefs. No matter what Muslims tell you, that if you are not believing in Allah and his prophet Muhammad, you are not going to have a relationship with God, if they even understand what a relationship with God may be. But Paul it stands in the face of tolerance. It stands in the face of political correctness because I want to tell you something. If you know there is a medicine that will make you well, if I know that my kid needs antibiotics, I'm not going to give them honey and lemon every day if they've got infection. That doesn't mean I'm tolerant. That means I'm careless. If there is a, a, a drop for the eye and, and, and your child has a wound in, on the knee, you don't put the drops on the, on the knee and say, you know, all medicine leads to the same thing. And Christianity, friends, is the only faith that has a risen Lord. And he says that by the grace of God, and he speaks that people pervert the gospel. And later on he says, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you have accepted, let him be eternally condemned or let the wrath of God fall upon him or let him be cursed. You see, he was so serious. He was so sick of it. He couldn't have Judaism and Christianity linked together. They had a group of experts come from Jerusalem and trying to convert or impose upon the Gentile Christians that they need to observe the law and they need to be circumcised to which, circumcised to which every man uh, you know, said, maybe this is not the religion for me. Uh, but, but the reality is they wanted to mingle Judaism with Christianity, and Paul says, I'm sorry. There is no political correctness in that. It's completely incompatible. And grace, his friends, is one of the most profound things you'll experience. We are told in another letter written to a place called, to a group of people called the Ephesians, that we are saved by grace, and that is not from us but it is the gift of God. And I want to finish off. I'm sorry I've taken a little bit too long today. I want to finish off by letting you know three things 
we may not have the final song. Sorry, Josh. We'll, we'll just, I'll try and get you through this. I want you to remember that grace has three functions. The transforming power of God pursues you and pursues me before we become followers of Jesus. That's what the grace of God does. It's while we were still dead, it tells us in Ephesians 2, while we were still dead in our transgression, if you're a dead person, you can't help yourself. If you're a dead person, you can't move towards God. You know, people say, you know, I need to help myself so that God could uh, accept me. You have no hope, friends. Because from the view of God, we're dead. The only thing that we need is somebody to come and approach us because we can't approach him because we're dead. You know, the whole concept of the humanistic uh, theory that we're internally and intrinsically good people is an absolute lie because since we have fallen, you and I have got a virus of corruption. We are dead. We've been killed by the virus of sin. We've been separated from the source of life which is God, and by the grace of God, you are being chased, you have been pursued by a loving, kind, gracious God that wants nothing out of you, but every good thing for you. And the same God, when you accept His transforming power, He recreates you. Christianity is not another set of beliefs, another set of hats you put on. It changes who you are. That's why you probably heard Christian say about something called born again. That means you have a new life from the inside. And that happens by the grace of God. And the most awesome thing for me personally is that that grace, the transforming power of God, is able to sustain your faith despite of the pain, the suffering, the hardship that comes with it. Because the grace of God brings a living God into the realm of dead people that you and I will know that God is not dead, but we were dead and He comes to you. He comes to me. Not only would you need to take him out of the box, but by the grace of God, God wants to take you out of the box of deadness. Friends, Christianity is not asserting a new set of beliefs. Christianity is not about another worldview. Christianity, the most amazing thing about it, is the same risen Savior is committed to come up and to resurrect you and I. So we have a life again. We don't believe in Christianity because it's written somewhere. We don't believe in Christianity because it's been handed down. We believe in a Christianity with the risen Savior, by His grace, encounters you regardless where you are. We don't believe in a set of religious duties. We don't believe in the genie that will come and prosper you and give you meaning and purpose and enjoyment in life. We believe in a risen God because if somebody died and predicted his death and rose again, you have no option but to acknowledge his reality. And I want to put it to you today, whether you are a Christian exploring Christianity or just visiting with us today, Maybe like me, you thought God was dead. He's saying to you today, 
whether you're dead or I'm dead, the reality is there's no connection between us. And since he's alive, and he's rose from the dead, and he's pursuing you today, do you want him to get you out of the dead body? Let's be upstanding. I'd love to pray for you. My Father, my God, our Father, our God, the Father who have embraced your people in a supernatural way because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We invite you, Almighty God, to interact with us to help us research and discover the reality of your death and your resurrection, that you're alive, God. And by the power of your grace, you're pursuing us, you recreate us, and you sustain us despite of the challenges of life. We ask for every single one of us that you would do something special today, even right here and right now that we know that we are on your radar despite of our spiritual affiliation, regardless of how far we are from you today. Risen Savior, pursue us today, I pray, in the awesome, matchless name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen.